Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of the Eurotrip podcast. Great to be with you on what has been already a big week in the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. James, we will obviously talk about said news a bit more very shortly, but but a big week in the world of the Eurovision Song Contest. Yeah, I'm sure listening at home, you know exactly what we're talking about. Of course, the, the big rule changes with the voting, we'll cover that off very, very shortly. But Rob, can I start with something from last week's episode? We did another edition of Rewind last week, didn't we? Uh, look back at 1993. And we had the pleasure of chatting to uh, Fanula Sweeney, who was the, the host, the presenter of the contest last week. You remember that? I remember that, of course, yeah, 1993, as I revealed on last week's episode, the year of my birth, and also Fanula possibly my favourite name of any Eurovision host ever. (laughs) You and me both. Now, I remember we were talking about the fact that they saved Malta's vote to the very end. And I think we had a little bit of a a throwaway conversation at the fact that maybe they did that deliberately Mm. (laughs) just to to create a little bit of drama, which I wouldn't blame them for. However, Fanula did message me. She got in touch and said... Did she now? Yeah, she said she'd been listening to the podcast and said... I can confirm that Malta was not on the other end of the line when we tried to go to them during the voting. So there it is. We can sweep that rumour to bed that we created, Rob. (laughs) And we can confirm that it wasn't just done uh, for TV trickery. Well, I was going to say, there you have it, from the horse's mouth herself. But that sounds mean. (laughs) That's not what I mean, Fanula. But thank you so much for for putting the record straight. But also, she needs to send a message to Neve Kavanagh, because I'm pretty sure Neve Kavanagh was also very suspicious that that (laughs) conspiracy may be the case. But yeah, good to set the record straight at the start of today's episode. Absolutely. We'll be doing another edition of Rewind. We'll be talking all about the new voting changes as well on this week's episode of the Eurotrip. As Jonola Sandro always said, take it away. For me, Eurovision is much more than just a job. It's part of me. Giannis, let me say, we were your first ever Eurovision interview way back in January. <laughs> I remember! I... So Gisli Baltarsson, Iceland's commentator, welcome to the Eurotrip. Thank you very much and thank you for the Eurotrip. I've been listening to you. Being face to face, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, your beautiful face. <laughs> I was like, but it is cute. beautiful as well, though. We were talking on the phone. Yes. Do you want to have a hug? Yes, please. Yeah, that would be great. Cornelia Jacobs, congratulations. Thank you. Give me a hug. Hi there. My name is Martin Ostadol. I am the executive supervisor of the Eurovision Song Contest. You are listening to Eurotrip. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Eurotrip, the world's favorite Eurovision podcast. With me, Rob. Me, James. And this week on the podcast, we are rewinding all the way to 2020 and 2021. So just a couple of years, we are rewinding on the podcast this week as we look back at the cancelled contest, of course, of 2020, and then how Eurovision returned to our screens the following year. I think this is going to be one of the most fascinating that we do, actually, because... 
It was a Eurovision like no other. Of course, it was cancelled in 2020 and then came back. And it was almost one of the, the biggest TV events to actually come back. One of the biggest international events, wasn't it, in 2021. And we've got some great guests to speak to us. Well, especially one big guest who's going to take us behind the scenes and tell us exactly what was going on in the run-up to the cancellation and how they got back up onto their feet to plan for 2021. Yeah, very, very fortunate to have been able to sit down at length with Seetzer Backer. Seetzer, of course, is a member of the Eurovision Reference Group. It's a shame I spoke to Seetzer before the voting change because he would have been a good person to talk to about that. But also, of course, Seetzer, executive producer for Eurovision in 2020 and 2021. So he reveals some very, very interesting things about those two editions of the Eurovision Song Contest. And we've mentioned it a couple of times there already. We'll be chatting all about the new voting changes as well. We've got Ben Robertson on in just a moment to take us through what this will mean for the contest. And Melfest, of course, is on the horizon. Very, very exciting. And there's only one man we can talk to when it comes to Melfest. Toby Eck from Aftonbladet will be here to take us through the very latest rumours as to who's taking part next year, including a return for Lorene. You're listening on Acast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This is the Eurotrip. So hello then, this is indeed the Eurotrip podcast. And as we mentioned at the very start of today's episode, we've had a bit of news this week, haven't we, when it comes to the Eurovision Song Contest. Some changes when it comes to the voting system. And safe to say, this has caused quite the noise over on social media, at least. So we've got to start the episode here. We've got to get into it. And we did ask the EBU for an interview. They said they're not doing interviews about this. So then we came up with the next best thing. He is a man that you will have heard many times on this podcast. He is from the brilliant Bet Eurovision podcast. He does some brilliant stuff over at ESC Insight. He's one of our pals over in Stockholm as well. So we often chat when it comes to Melody Festival. And Ben Robertson, hello. Hello there. Nice to know I'm a second fiddle to the EBO. That's quite high status for me, actually. Yeah, I was going to say it's not bad. Like, Osterdahl first choice, you second choice. I'd say that's that's okay. I'll take that, yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, Ben, we had to get you on because, as we've already mentioned, this voting news came through not long before we released this podcast and before we were recording today. So we wanted to, I suppose, dive into it and find out what changes this could make to the contest is this going to make eurovision 2023 a whole different beast on the face of it let's have a look at kind of the headlines the headlines being this viewers alone will decide the semi-final results so the semi-finals now a hundred percent televote jury and viewers still deciding the grand final results and the rest of the world now get a vote in the final ben where are you at with it all this will make absolutely no difference at all to the Eurovision Song Contest, yet it will also make a huge fundamental difference to it. Because on the face of it, if you're a casual viewer and you tune in for the semi-finals, you won't notice a difference. Because we don't see the juries that have been removed from the semi-finals. We don't see the points from different countries. You go and vote, you get the results, and that's it. The viewer experience isn't any different, and it's not any different in the final, because the juries will be there, each country will have their jury, and they will vote, and the rest of the world voting block will have the size as a televoting block from one of the participating nations. So the rest of the world block is the same size as the Polish televote, or the Romanian televote, or anywhere else. Um, And that's all that one big block at the end. So from the viewer experience, you see no difference. It will be the same Eurovision as we saw this year. What will be different is, of course, how the points are being made to get through to the winner and who qualifies. I think the biggest change on that front isn't the rest of the world, Jerry, because that's a very small amount of points relative to the entire block of the 30-plus countries that will take part in Liverpool. But the biggest difference will be there's no juries hopefully, voting in the semi-finals. I think the juries can vote if the televote fails, but that shouldn't happen, fingers crossed. So it's a fully televote qualifiers to the semis, and that's the biggest difference. Now, I wanted to get you on because you posted a really interesting Twitter thread with your thoughts on these changes, some of which you've just been through there. 
And I think you said that you think actually this 100% televote in the semi-final is a good idea because you've said it gets more of people's favourites into the final. Do you want to expand on that a little bit more? I mean, we've got to remember what kind of perspective we're looking at here. And if we're looking from a broadcaster's wanting to get you know more viewers into the show, if viewers have invested in a song and it has got through and we have... You know, generally televote songs are going to be more entertainment. We should have more entertaining Eurovision finals if the fully televote clips go through. You now, if I think about what songs would have qualified of this over the most recent years, I'm thinking about things like Verona. I'm thinking about things like Uwe Ospo Hindenen from Denmark a few years ago. Um, I'm thinking maybe even Secret from Albania this year, which were in a musically a bit more brash um a bit more you know music entertainment on stage compared to things like boys do cry compared to things like um running on air by nathan trent so then obviously if we move forward and focus on some of these other changes the jury's return for the grand finals we've now got that rest of the world vote which has the same weighting as you've already mentioned earlier on one televoting nation is that going to change the types of songs that do well it's only the size of one televoting nation but are we going to see for example english language songs potentially get better results from that rest of the world because english is a is a more universal language i don't necessarily think there's going to be a clear and obvious difference between the two there um like again it's only one block and i expect it will be you know following the trend of whatever you know Europe's most popular song will be should do well with that it'll be interesting to know what countries they use for that because not made it clear which countries will be allowed to use the online vote because they have a credit card verification system there so it'll be interesting to see what trends that has you know one question for example will be will Russian viewers be able to use that for example which of course is a huge number of potential viewers which I do not know if that will be encouraged or included that's a different conversation for a different time um, but it's very small, you know. This extra addition of one country means that it goes from being 50-50 to being, I think, 50.6% televote and 49.4% jury. So that difference is very small. The bigger difference is about the songs that qualify. If your aim is to qualify for the grand final, you need to have a song that will appeal to televoters. However, if your goal is to win the Eurovision Song Contest, you need a song to appeal to the juries. The juries are now, I think, more important in the grand final because if you have so many songs that are qualified by appealing to televoters, you may see a lot more in the jury side of the scoreboard. You may see a lot more of those countries getting zeros or very low scores from televoters. And then those that can hit both camps can do very, very well with the juries. And maybe the jury spread will be much wider now. This is a very important thing for the big five countries because they don't have to qualify. So the United Kingdom, France, Germany, the other countries, they can send competent, professional, quality songs that will be rewarded by the juries Whereas all the other nations have to have that battle of getting through the televoting first before you get to that point. It's a bit of a two-tier system. Ben, it is always brilliant to get your brilliant analytical eye to uh, talk us through some of these changes and, and, and the latest developments in the world of Eurovision. So thank you for joining us. And I'm sure we will have you on more than once between now and the contest in Liverpool next May. Like what you're hearing? Make sure to leave us a review and a rating whenever you're listening. Thanks to Ben Robertson then for jumping on the Eurotrip with us this week. It seems weird to be chatting to Ben at this time of year. Normally he pops up around Melfest season, but it's great to have him on anyway. And uh, great to have him on chatting about one of the biggest stories that's happened to Eurovision over the last few weeks or last few months at least, uh, because it's got everybody talking, hasn't it, Rob? It certainly has. Well, I knew that we couldn't talk to the EBU because I mentioned it at the very start of that chat with Ben. We contacted the EBU. We said any chance of a, an interview for 
for the podcast to tell obviously all of you what's going on with the voting changes and they said oh unfortunately we can't do an interview there was only one person we had to get on which is ben robertson because as we said there bet eurovision podcast does loads of stuff at ESE insight we've spoken to him about melody festival and before he's a man that loves to cast a bit of an analytical eye as i think i called it over all things eurovision so it was fascinating to hear his thoughts on how those changes might affect the contest going forwards yeah fascinating to see the reaction from everyone on social media as well safe to say it's mixed the reaction but also nice to see people from around the world a lot of american eurovision fans i've seen who are very excited at the prospect of of actually being able to vote next year yeah definitely a lot of skepticism so far but there are definitely positives to take away let's let's make that clear for sure uh speaking about people getting in touch with opinions and all that sort of thing. <laughs> that was a nice seg. That kind nice, of worked. smooth segue uh, into all of your comments and all of your reaction to last week's episode. I mentioned it before. We did Rewind 1993 and also chatted to Fazla at length as well. Thanks for everyone getting in touch and listening to those episodes last week. Yeah, as ever, lovely to see how many of you are enjoying Rewind. We've got loads of messages. Can't read them all out here because, and you may have gathered this from the sheer speed that me and James are talking this week, we've got an awful lot to fit in. I know, Will, you got in touch with your memories of 93. Kyriakos, who joined us on last week's podcast, he also shared his top 10 from the 93 contest over on Twitter, and loads more of you got in touch as well. So thank you to all of you who did that. And now, James, just before we get to the very latest news from the world of the Eurovision Song Contest, would you like to hear an email. Yes, please. You know, I'll have an email. Well, Madeline has been in touch on the email. So Madeline sent this email and it reads like this. I'm going to read it in full. She says, because it's an adorable opening to an email. Hey, you two. Cute, isn't it? Love the podcast. I began listening last year as I entered the world of ESC podcasts. Can you believe I only learned about the song contest in 2020. We're just going to love this week's rewind, if that's the case. Uh, she said, I'm from Celine Dion's home in Quebec in Canada. Very exciting to have an international listener. They're always from Canada. I swear we get a lot of people in touch from Canada. I wonder if Michael in New York's still listening. Do you remember he used to send us messages that he said he, he listened from his roof in New York? <laughs> wonder if that's still on. <laughs> anyway, Madeline says, I'm always waiting for your new episodes, so keep up the good job. Anyway, she continues, she says, writing to also share my hype as Kino have just launched a new single called Knights of Thunder. I can't stop listening to their last album and I wanted your opinion on that new song. And Does it feel Eurovision for you? Well, Madeline, it's at the point at which I read this email that I realise I've not actually listened to Kino's new song. James, have you heard Kino's new song? Sorry there, Rob. I was just busy plugging my laptop in. Um, I don't think I've listened to the album, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think you disappeared on me for a second there. No, neither have I, but I will do. And maybe next week, Madeline, maybe we can share our thoughts. Who knows? Maybe that single is their their MGP song. I doubt it very much. Who knows? At this stage, we don't even know if Kino are doing Melody Grand Prix in Norway this year. But yeah, one thing's of, yeah, one thing's for sure. One thing's for sure, Rob, is that Madeline is not alone in that she's got her fingers crossed for Kino to come back to Melody Grand Prix. Absolutely. But Madeline, thank you so much for your email. And maybe, Madeline, if you are such a Kino fan as you suggest you are, you can help us with our investigations. <laughs> and you can help us discover whether or not Luna Ferrari is indeed Alexandra from Kino. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go back and have a listen to our episodes from three, four weeks ago. But in the meantime, James, remind us of the contact details. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram and hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. know what this means by now it heralds the arrival of the very latest news from the world of the eurovision song contest and it's me behind the news desk this week and very excitingly by the way this is the very first time i've ever recorded the podcast standing up 
it's quite liberating. I find myself doing a lot of hand movements that obviously you can't see while listening to this, but honestly, very liberating. The very latest news, the biggest news, of course, we have already covered off. That change to the voting system for Eurovision in 2023. But there's a few other stories out there. Over in Spain, RTVE, they've confirmed the hosts of Benidorm Fest in 2023. They include Monica Naranjo, Inez Hernand and Rodrigo Vasquez. Uh, They will have the honour of hosting the three Benidorm Fest shows next year. Over in Malta, this is exciting news. They have revealed the quarter-finalists for the catchily named the Malta Eurovision Song Contest. Don't know how they came up with that. Uh, They include the biggest returners in this, uh, Aidan of course, very popular within the Eurovision fan community. His song Ritmu, of course, from last year, which me and James had the pleasure of seeing at the Melfest Weekender pre-party. I seem to remember. Went down very, very well. Uh, Also returning, Fabrizio Faniello, who represented Malta in 2001 and 2006. In the world of Junior Eurovision, we've got the hosts for the Junior Eurovision Song Contest. They include Garrick Popoyan, who was one of the producers for Armenia's song in 2014, uh, Karina Ignatian, who's a previous Armenian Junior Eurovision contestant, and also, James, your friend of mine, you've spoken to before, Iveta Mikuchian. Do you remember her? Represented Armenia at the Eurovision Song Contest in 2016. And finally, over in Ukraine, we've got the 10 acts that will compete for the golden ticket for Ukraine in Vidbir 2023. They include Demchuk, Finka, Jerry Heil, Krut, Mosasai, and Oi Sound System. Very, very good. Good job with the news. I'm glad um, the Eurotrip podcast got rid of that fella from the news desk last week. He had a <laughs> shocker. So I'm glad he brought this Rob Lilly back. He was great. Thanks. Yeah, thanks very much. It's standing. I'm telling you, standing is the way forward. (laughs) It's a game changer. It's a game changer. Uh, Yeah, loads of exciting news this week. A lot busier than the week before. Uh, And also, I think we should move on pretty quickly to um, some of the most exciting anticipated news. Uh, Melody Festival and Rob. Yes. I don't know how we've not mentioned this so far. I mean, we kind of have trailing ahead to the interview that we're about to hear because I was out for dinner, I think, last week. And the chat that I'm in with James and a couple of our other mates that are also Eurovision fans, Sam, off of the European quiz back in the day, remember him, who does all the wonderful graphics here on the Eurotrip. And then Callum, James's brother, who also does about the contest you may have seen that some great song reviews etc he also we should say write all of our news articles for us let's give him a big thanks <laughs> i don't know what, yeah yeah don't know why i didn't say that first yeah Callum, <laughs> who's behind all the great stuff you can read over on eurotrippodcast.com anyway basically this is a very long way around of me saying we're all in a chat and i was out for dinner and then this chat started in the words of james and the youth out there started popping off and i was like oh what's this about and i think it was just capital letters saying loreen is back but there's one man that we had to get back on the podcast. He is Toby Eck. He is the man who has been revealing these names, thanks to his brilliant sources and connections. He's been doing that over on Aftonbladet, Sweden's leading daily newspaper. So we got Toby on. I had a chat with him earlier on. And I just started by asking how excited he was. Now he's been uncovering some of those names who will be competing for the right to represent Sweden at Eurovision next year. I have a rather good feeling about this. Um, I've, of course, spent the last uh, the last couple of weeks, I'd say, but it's probably the last couple of months, trying to um, get the gossip and, and hear the rumours and, and trying to unfold which artists will take part in the competition. And um, where... Um, last year, we uh, we did have 22 out of 28 names on our list. And now with a week before the press conferences, uh, we are at 22 already. So so I'm, I'm rather pleased with this. But also, I think it, it's... I think it's it can be quite a fun year next year. We we have a lot of returners. We, we have some new interesting names. Uh, several that might... Uh, be more focused on the Swedish uh, uh, the Swedish platform or, or the the Swedish audience rather than than Eurovision, but but I think that is also good for for the national competition here in Sweden. 
There are so many places we can go with this conversation, with all of the brilliant names that you have already and your colleagues have revealed will be taking part, we expect, in Melody Festival in next year. But of course, the standout name, Toby, is the return of Loreen. And the thing with, with Loreen is that since she was already back in 2017, the standout thing here, I'd say that she has teamed up with the songwriters be- um, uh, behind Euphoria. So so I would say that Lorian in combination with the Euphoria team, that is what makes this really interesting. Uh, and I am so much keeping my fingers crossed for this being a banger, being uh, something that will put her back on the map again. Because uh, frankly, uh, the songs she's released recently, they've been all right, but they haven't been... They haven't been hits. They haven't been uh, the songs that you can't stop listening to. I I jokingly asked her this summer uh, or or in May uh, during Eurovision uh, if she was uh, if she was allergic to choruses and if she was allergic to hits because that was the rumors amongst Eurovision fans. And she she laughed and said, "No, no, no, of course not." Uh, so hopefully she's proving me and the fans wrong here. Uh, bringing back a strong chorus uh, for everyone to enjoy. What do you think has changed for Lorene to bring her back to Melody Festival and, and potentially Eurovision? Because, of course, for people listening to this, Lorene is Euphoria, Eurovision winner. And then, of course, there is, as you said, 2017 statements, she didn't make it to the Melfest final. So it will have taken a lot, surely, for her to risk it all again and risk that legacy one more time in Mellow again this year? Well, um, the the talk behind the scenes, I'd say it is the song. It, it is absolutely the song that, that uh, uh, as far as I understand it, when she heard it, she said, oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, and then the next one was, oh, oh, is this something you want me to do in, in Melfest? I need to think about that, and then uh, getting um, um, getting her into kind of you know adjusting the song a little bit. So she's, uh, I'm sure that she will also be added to the uh, uh, to the songwriter list of of this song as well, uh, and and teaming up with them, trying to sing it uh, and and trying it out in the studio. I think that's what convinced her that yes, this is the song I need to do, but. This is, of course, what I hear from from people that knows things. But you can also look at uh, her results when it comes to streaming. Um, um, her recent songs hasn't proved as successful as she would have wanted. I'd say she was in a in a Swedish uh, TV show last year, Somika Bättre, where a lot of artists. Uh, participate and they they do covers of 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 the other uh, artists' songs and it, it is um, it's quite common that you get huge hits out of that but uh, she didn't get that last year so I think this is something that career wise is smart for her to do uh, she, she needs to uh, challenge her herself and and uh, show the audience that that. Uh, that that she is that singer behind Euphoria. She has that in her, and w- with her, what is so so particular? It's her voice. Her voice is an instrument, and um, if she can get that across to the audience uh, in in next year's competition, rather than than in statements where where I think a lot of people were was shying away from her because the uh, the performance and the stage act was uh, f- f- felt strange and weird if she can if she can go back to just showcasing her voice i think that people will take her to to their hearts again somehow we have to talk about people that aren't Lorene and some of those other brilliant names that you've <laughs> that you've revealed will hopefully be taking part in in Melody Festival in in 2023. We've got some brilliant returning artists. Let's talk about some of the returners that are coming back to Mellow again in 2023. I want you to pick one other returning artist that you yourself Toby are most excited about. 
Oh, and you you know I'm not going to uh, reply in the way you want, but I'd say that I think that Teos can make an impact this year. He, he's going to be a strong contender for, uh, for you know, uh, repeating the success. I also think that Panetos, they will definitely do an upbeat, fun uh, um, party song. I am excited to see what Tunis Achilles brings to, uh, to Melfest next year. I would expect her to come with something a little bit more modern, uh, but also with still with some kind of... of of message. I was asking you for one name and you gave me three, but because it's because it's you, absolutely fine. <laughs> and, and Toby, the last question then, I guess, is of the newer artists or of the of the artists that maybe the public in Sweden will know, but maybe us outside Sweden, us Eurovision fans might not know, who else should we be excited to see in Melody Festival and for the first time this year? Um. I would say uh, definitely Marcus and Martinus, uh, the Norwegian twins. Uh, they uh, they have, have been approached several times by NRK and Melody Grand Prix, but they chose to go with Big Brother Sweden uh, for their uh, uh, first effort to make it to uh, the Eurovision. And I think that they can have a smash hit in their hands. Uh, absolutely. Uh, for the Schlager fans, I'd say that uh, keep an eye out for Emil Hemron. According to sources, it's 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 a classic Schlager pop song. And I also want to add uh, to all the Eurovision fans that you need to prepare yourself for Nordman returning a third time. They uh, they will. Uh, be strong contenders in Sweden. I'm sure that we will see them in the final. I, I, I think they, they will be this year's Anders Bagge, if, if I say. They will be uh, a big fan favorite in Sweden, most likely doing a, uh, a folk pop uh, um, song in Swedish uh, and um, w- w- with a lot of folk, uh, folk music uh, influences in it. And I think that will definitely appeal to, uh, to a large audience in Sweden. So, so, um, do not be surprised uh, if they are straight to the final in their heat. Toby, thank you so much. And I will let you get back to what I understand is an incredibly snowy Stockholm. So thank you for chatting. Thank you so much. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're listening to The Eurotrip. Your favorite Eurovision podcast. When you aren't listening, find us on social media. At Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. Ooh, exciting stuff there from our friend Toby Eck. I love talking to Toby. I love, love, love talking to Toby. We've had him on the podcast loads of times, but we've only had him on the podcast loads of times because he's so bloody brilliant and brings us so much excellent, exclusive news from Sweden, from Melody Festival and... Very exciting to hear who is potentially competing in Mellow next year. Oh, Rob, I've got to tell you about this. I was chatting to a friend and colleague a little bit earlier on, and I was saying that you were chatting to Toby Eck this afternoon, and uh, his face lit up. <laughs> uh, and I went, oh, do you like Toby? And you went, well, I'll certainly be listening if Toby's on the podcast this week. And I didn't know how to take that. I was thinking, does that mean you don't usually listen to the podcast? Yeah, I mean... Should we just hand over the reins? 
to Toby? Should we get him to do it? I mean, he's very busy. I don't think he'd have the time. But <laughs> yeah, should we put the snap-backed man in charge? I don't know. Now then, shall we get to the big part of this week's episode? It is, of course, time to rewind. It is indeed time to rewind. I'm pretty sure that was my turn to introduce rewind, so you've snatched that off me, little thief. <laughs> Never mind. Let's get on with things, Rob. That's why they're here. Not to listen to us bicker. No, absolutely. Let's crack on with it then. Now, usually, at this point, of course, we would tell you what was going on in the world at this time when the contest did, or indeed, as it turns out this week, didn't take place, as we will come on to later. But as you will know, the world was a fairly different place when the Netherlands won the right to host the Eurovision Song Contest after Duncan Lawrence won in Tel Aviv. This would be the first time the country had hosted the contest since a previous edition of Rewind, actually, back in 1980. But the question, of course, where would it be? Uh, Speaking on stage before handing over the winner's trophy, the previous year's winner, Netta, thought, thought, I should say, she knew the answer. You want to say something before you give the trophy away? Congratulations, Netherlands! We're coming to Amsterdam! Netta needs to stop predicting where the following year's Eurovision Song Contest may take place. This was the first <laughs> of a long line of Netta getting it wrong. Should say, by the way, I don't think we said it at the very, very start of the rewind. 2020-2021, that's what we're doing this week. Yeah, I feel like Netta's got a habit of always getting it wrong, hasn't she? So if you if you like to place some money on where it's going to be, listen to Netta and go to the next city on your list. That's probably going to be the best bet. Yeah, that's very, very sensible. Well, if not Amsterdam, as Netta predicted, where would the Eurovision Song Contest in 2020 be? Well, it came down, you might remember, to two cities, Rotterdam or Maastricht. Now, for this episode, we've spoken at length with the executive producer of the 2020 and then, of course, 2021 contest, Sietse Backer. You're going to hear loads from him on today's Rewind. He was very, very generous with his time. And ultimately, of course, we know that Rotterdam won the race to host. But it turns out that we all found out that Rotterdam had won the right to host slightly earlier than we'd meant to. The CEO of the venue in Maastricht stormed out of the office of the mayor uh, uh, in disappointment, which is understandable, uh, and then in the hallway uh, met a journalist who obviously, um, you know, one-on-one is two, uh, and, and, and released that news. So we were actually in, the, in the, uh, the main control room of Dutch television where they would launch uh, the, uh, the announcement video at noon. And suddenly all our phones start buzzing and lighting up and uh, with push messages from the various media outlets that it uh, it would be Rotterdam. But that was sort of seven minutes uh, uh, before 12. So uh, uh, I think we had a good laugh about that. Oh, that's incredible, isn't it? Although quite understandable in a way. You would get, perhaps if you'd just lost out, you would get a little bit angry. Yeah, I think you'd be, I think you'd be fuming, to be fair. I have been to Maastricht before. Little little anecdote for you. I played a school football tournament in Maastricht, and I can tell you there's not a lot there. So maybe maybe Rotterdam were the worthy winners. <laughs> Although not the, not that I'd have told the man who manages the venue or whoever it was that stormed out there. <laughs> uh, now for that decision, it came on the 30th of August 2019. So on this episode of Rewind, let's fast forward to the following spring, and we all know. What happened next? It was the 18th of March, and then this came from the executive supervisor, Jono Lassand. It is with great regret we have to announce the cancellation of the Eurovision Song Contest 2020 in Rotterdam. The escalating spread of the coronavirus throughout Europe and the restrictions put in place by many governments and the Dutch authorities makes it impossible for us to host a live event as planned. We are very proud of the Eurovision Song Contest that for 64 years have united people all around Europe. And we are deeply disappointed about this situation. I think we all remember, don't we, where we were when this news came through. I was at work and I just remember looking at Twitter 
And there was that statement put out by the EBU saying that Eurovision had been cancelled. And James, if I'm right, I think on the same day, I think Glastonbury Festival had also been cancelled. And then maybe later in the day, Euro 2020, the football had been cancelled as well, I think. I don't know where you were. Yeah, it became a pretty big day, didn't it? Yeah, I think I'd just been out to the shops and I kind of, I think we had a feeling on the morning, didn't we, that there was some news coming and I just nipped out and I thought, I bet you this announcement's made while I'm out. And lo and behold, I get back home and it was announced about 15 minutes before I'd gotten back. But yeah, it was a big day, wasn't it? It was a huge day for Eurovision News. Yeah, the first time ever, of course, that the Eurovision Song Contest had been cancelled. So it was only right, of course, that I asked Sietze for, for his memories of, of what was, of course, a, a really difficult time. I, I was following the new, this news from Asia, from what was happening there with this mysterious illness that people were starting to have. Early March, we would start recording postcards in the Netherlands. So we would fly in the artists from their country to the Netherlands. And then we got a cancellation, I think, first from Italy, where obviously COVID hit really bad. Then Poland pulled out. And then, you know, every day we would get two or three countries that said we we cannot travel or we are not allowed to travel by company policy. And then when you sort of go back home and you start listening to the news and read the papers and you're you're watching television, then it dawned upon us that that this could be, um, uh, that this could actually end. And then I think it was, somewhere between the Olympics and uh, and uh, Euro football. Interestingly enough, we realized that because of the way that things are, that the Eurovision Song Contest is organized, we as a host broadcaster did not have a mandate to cancel the song contest. That mandate was only with the, with the EBU. So that decision had to be taken by the EBU. I think it was an inevitable uh, decision. We supported the decision, but they had to make the decision and I think they did that at the uh, at the highest level. And then I think the um, uh, the phone call came. I think I was at the director general's office when when our director general and the director general of the EBU spoke about this uh, and the decision to uh, to cancel. And I think I think it was uh, the next day that we uh, it could be the same day early in the morning or or the day before that we had that call. Uh, but we had very short time to uh, to make that announcement first of all to you know the the public but also to uh, the participating broadcasters and their artists that were all preparing for their 3 minutes of uh, uh, of fame now Sita mentioned the artists there and of course at the time the contest was cancelled each of the competing countries had already selected their song and artist many of them would be invited back the following year but others wouldn't more on that later Now, in the contest's place came Europe Shine a Light, a programme bringing together almost all of the 2020 artists to sing a message of hope for those watching at home. Now on to better news, shall we? At the end of that broadcast, we found out that Eurovision would return the following year with Rotterdam again hosting the competition. After talk of scenario A, B, C and D, national finals held behind closed doors and constant coverage on the news of whether the contest would actually take place, the Eurovision world did eventually descend on the Netherlands in May 2021. Well, here is Sietse Bakker again, and he shares the moment that he realised, I think, and the really emotional moment, as he describes, that Eurovision, after all that time, after the cancellation the previous year, was actually going to return, and the event was going to happen in 2021. Monday night, the uh, the jury show for the first semi-final, and I remember walking with the CEO of, uh, of Ahoy. We walked through to the doors. And you could already hear the 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 noise in the background. And we opened the doors and we we walked in and and there was an audience. And 
that was emotional for me was emotional for her as well because she she hadn't seen an audience in that venue for a long time and we both cried uh here i said it and we both cried and uh, when we looked around to other people from uh, from the crew walking around there working in the green room every single one was crying now of course we need to talk about the songs but very excitingly we should add that you'll be able to hear our full chat or Rob's full chat I should say with Sita in a very special bonus episode coming your way this Friday where he talks more about the contest a very hastily rearranged opening ceremony and even how he's helping advise the organizers of Eurovision 2023 that'll be hitting your podcast feed on Friday yeah that story about just how much had to change and how quickly about the opening ceremony of 2021 that is quite the story so make sure you have a listen on friday loads of of other great stuff in there as james has already said but we said it's time we get to the songs and there is only one place to start it is song number nine and the united kingdom out of the embers you and i Brit award-winning songwriter James Newman was representing the UK after having originally entered the altogether different-sounding My Last Breath for 2020. Yeah, massive plastic trumpets. Can't think about the trumpets and not laugh. Gold trousers that we saw at some point in the rehearsals and then didn't see in the final. Eventually, some pyro after a lot of cries from UK Eurovision fans on social media. They all appeared during his performance. And we'll have more on the UK when we eventually do get to the voting. Although, spoilers, (laughs) it doesn't get much better. (laughs) Uh, Next up then, it's song number 12, and it's Iceland. Uh, Many people consider them favourites to win the contest the year before, and again in 2021. But just a few days before Eurovision Week itself, the group reported positive COVID cases. Now, this prevented them from performing live, with rehearsal footage being used instead. But the performances still went down incredibly well with those in the arena and viewers watching from home. How does it keep getting Now, there are, of course, so many other songs that we could mention from 2021. Natalia Gordienko, a special mention to Natalia Gordienko, of course, with Sugar and that, you know which one I mean, that note. Of course, (laughs) Go Away, representing Ukraine as well, of course. But there was one act who took Eurovision and then the world by storm. You know who we're talking about. We'll get to them very shortly. But first... Let's get to the voting. After the jury points had been announced, Switzerland were leading the way with France and Malta in second and third. And then came this. We'll begin with the country that is now in last place. That is United Kingdom. And the United Kingdom gets from the public zero points. Germany has received from the public zero points. I'm sorry. Moving on to Spain. And the public points going to Spain are another zero points. You have received from the public zero points. Not one, not two, not three, but four sets of nil point. I don't think we will ever see the like at the contest again. 
it honestly, do you remember where you were watching that? It felt like something had genuinely gone wrong, didn't it? Well, it is very funny you say that, James, because behind the scenes, there was a bit of panic that there had, in fact, been a technical problem with the voting itself. Here is Seats of Acker again with exactly what was happening behind the scenes at that very moment. On the screen, I see Chantal, one of the hosts. I see she made a sort of a face and I thought, you're thinking the same as I'm thinking. There is something wrong with the with the voting. And any moment we're going to have Martin Astral interfere and say this is this is not right, and we're starting over again. And that was the moment I thought, shall I now? You know, we have this big sort of radio panels, and there's all there's buttons and panic buttons, and you can easily talk to each other. At that point, I I thought, shall I call Martin now and ask him, is there a problem? I, th- I think I called him or the the, the televoting supervisor from Digame uh, and, and was uh, was comforted that, you know, points would be coming. So at least I wasn't the only one then. At least there was still panic at Eurovision HQ that something had gone wrong as well. Oh, yeah. The way that Sitsa describes it there. And I think I'd have been exactly the same if I found myself in that boat. Be funny if I did find myself in that boat as the executive <laughs> producer of the Eurovision Song Contest. But yeah, just the idea of him sitting there going... Martin's probably quite busy, but should I send him a message? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> is everything okay? Thankfully, it all was. Yeah, let's fast forward a few minutes. Now, at the end of the voting sequence, we were left with just two countries on the split screen: Italy and Switzerland. Monaskin and John's tears. I think we all know what happened next. Switzerland has got from the public. Chantal there, rounding up the top three for us. Italy, the winners of the Eurovision Song Contest in 2021. Their win, of course, resulting in mine and James's memorable trip to Turin earlier on this year. But to tidy up the loose ends, Iceland, they would eventually finish in fourth. Goe and Ukraine would come home fifth. And Finland would achieve one of their best ever results. Blind Channel, of course, coming home in sixth. To finish then, as we do every week, let's hear this year's winner. Here's Italy and Monoskin performing after they had just lifted the trophy that night. rewound very far but I think it was worth rewinding back to the cancel contest 2020 and then of course when Eurovision eventually returned to our screens in 2021 I thought that was fascinating especially what Sietza had to say really really good to get that kind of an insight from someone so integral to everything that was going on back then and as we've already said 
even more from Sietza and some really, really interesting stories he will tell you on Friday's bonus episode of the Euro Trip. Indeed. Now, before we go, one last thing to do, of course, it's time for the one second song. Yeah, very good. It's the part of the episode where we... <laughs> you can't have sounded like you meant that less. <laughs> you rumbled me. How did you guess? Uh, no, very good. It's uh, the part of the episode where we take it in turns to play each other the very first second of a Eurovision song and take it in turns to guess the artist, the song title, the year it took part in Eurovision and the country it was representing. Man alive, I wish I could remember the scores, but I can't. So uh, let's just get on with it, shall we? It's funny that you can't remember the scores, given that you're currently seven points behind. It's currently me eight, you one. So, yeah, this is your chance to at least try and close the gap a little bit. Uh, So, yeah, for you, James, and for everyone listening, here is, for the first time, this week's One Second Song. Oh, I know it. I do know it. I do know it. Ah, man, I can hear the first lyrics. (laughs) I was waiting for a but then, and it sounds like there is a but, actually. I thought you were either about to say, I know it and it's this, or you were going to say, oh, and there was going to be a pained expression. And I don't know, part of me is a little bit pleased that we've got that pained expression from you. Oh, honestly, this is agonising. I can I can hear it. I can hear it. I Do you want it again? It. Do you want it again? Go on. Desperately. <sighs> oh, that's not a noise I want to hear again. <laughs> this is going to eat away at me. Honestly, Rob, I don't know if you've got anywhere to be, but I'll happily sit here for an hour and figure <laughs> this out. Uh, I've, I've got some drinks I could go to. <sighs> Negan Wade. Oh, man. This is so painful. Hope you haven't got anything else on, everyone listening. You won't be <laughs> anywhere. You're not listening in the car on the way to work oh, or anything like uh, that. I think I've got it. I think I've got it. Is it? God, I hope it is. Is it Brendan Murray? Dying to try Ireland 2017. Four points are yours, yes! sir. Yes. Oh, Where did I'm I so, get that from? I'm so pleased the wait was worth it. Let's have a <laughs> listen. Here it is. Is Brendan Murray dying to try Ireland 2017? I'm so glad I got that. I'm so glad. Me too, because it means I can actually go to these drinks and anyone listening on their way to work can actually, you know, get out of the car or get off the tube or whatever they're doing, get off the train. Yeah, that is indeed Ireland. Brendan Murray dying to try for Ireland in 2017. James, any idea why I picked that as this week's One Second Song? Oh, I do actually, because James Newman, who we talked about before, he wrote it. Very good. It's not often that you get the the tenuous link to the one second song. So for once, you've actually got it. You've hit the nail on the head, sir. Yeah, brilliant. I'm going to take that extra bonus point as well. As you so very well should. And I think with that, after a bumper episode, I think we're nearly there. I think we are, yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. Really, really appreciate it. As ever, if you've got any thoughts, and I'm sure you will do, especially with some of this week's news and some of the topics we've covered on this week's episode, do get in touch with us. We are at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Hello at EurotripPodcast.com on the email. And you can read more of our exclusive stories over on EurotripPodcast.com. We'll be back with you next Wednesday and, of course, on Friday with that bonus episode uh, with a full interview Rob did with Sita Baker, and that's on Friday. So in the meantime, make sure you subscribe, leave us a review, and rate us five stars. From me, James, it's goodbye. And from me, Rob, it's goodbye. Brit Award-winning songwriter James Newman was representing the UK after having originally... You're right there, you're having a malfunction. You ought to get... Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I just didn't understand what that meant. 
bit of <laughs> I having a malfunction. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> oh, I'm going loopy. Brit Award winning songwriter James Newman was representing the UK. <sighs> Are you alright? Yeah, just that, just that malfunctioning line just really tickled us. <laughs> you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.